Today we um, continue with this smorgasbord of uh, issues, of uh, events and activities and projects and campaigns and challenges and complexities. And uh, none are greater than that pertaining to Iraq. Uh, you had uh, various uh, comments yesterday from animated speakers who uh, talked about how the United States did not listen to many, if not most, if not indeed the majority of its um, friends and partners and working allies in the region about the uh, ill-advisedness of uh, invading Iraq, uh, a country that had not attacked the United States, and without the um, norms of international law and legitimacy and uh, governing relevant United Nations authorizing resolutions and that uh, this would spell disaster, America would rue the day, uh, uh, the United States would be mired uh, quickly. In fact, the word quagmire uh, became uh, part of people's vocabulary to a greater extent than it previously was. And in the ensuing uh, 11 years since then, uh, most of those uh, dire predictions have uh, been vindicated and validated. Uh, has that lessened hubris, uh, arrogance, uh, pomposity, uh, pontification, lecturing, sermonizing? Uh, perhaps each person here would answer that question uh, differently. And uh, the ambassador who's going to help us uh, comprehend some of these complexities a bit more and go about beyond and behind the headlines is eminently uh, qualified to do that. Uh, he's been hearing uh, phrases ever since he arrived here a year and a half ago to present his credentials about failed state, civil war, terrorism, ISIS, ISIL, Daesh, um, hopeless case, um, America killed a country, uh, laid waste to um, uh, a country that was at the apogee, the zenith of uh, Arab culture and civilization at its finest and most flowering uh, uh, dynamic. And uh, yet Iraq is still here, and so are we, and so are the issues, and so are the needs, so are the concerns, so are the interests, so are the goals, aspirations, and needs, and so are the individuals uh, tasked with uh, making sense of it all and uh, limiting the damage uh, if at all possible, ending the damage and uh, turning not just a new page, not just a new chapter, but a new book. Uh, to help us do this, we have uh, the Iraqi ambassador himself, Ambassador Lukman Faili. Uh, he's an extraordinary individual by any account. Um, I thought I would make a, a, a phrase to the parenthetical aside at the beginning that tomorrow he will run in the New York Marathon. Now, lots of people go to New York to see Times Square. He's never seen it. This is his uh, chosen way of seeing Times Square uh, starting uh, tomorrow. But he also ran in the Boston Marathon, and he did this in uh, emblematic, uh, symptomatic, symbolic uh, support uh, for uh, America's and other fallen uh, heroes and heroines. Uh, the ambassador bef before presenting his credentials May th 31st, 2013 here in the United States to Undersecretary of State William Burns 
was uh, Iraq's ambassador to Japan. Uh, and prior to that, he was an ambassador in Iraq's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And then like so many Iraqis who were self-exiled or forcibly exiled uh, to pursue their fortunes and families and sheer safety and security and livelihood and well-being and survival, uh, lived amongst the substantial community of Iraqi exiles in London uh, for 20 years. And this is where he obtained his Bachelor of Science degree as well. And for 10 of those 20 years, he was associated with two American uh, high-tech uh, companies, uh, one of which in an earlier uh, formulation was uh, affiliated with Hewlett Packard. Uh, Ambassador Faili speaks Arabic, English, and also Kurdish. And so this is another dimension and dynamic of the overall complexity uh, that Iraq represents in terms of this uh, 23rd annual Arab-U.S. Policymakers Conference. Please join me in welcoming Ambassador Faili, the Ambassador of Iraq. Good morning, everybody. First of all, uh, let me thank you, Dr. John Luke Anthony, for this great introduction, for setting the scene as to the introduced day with the Iraq theme. Uh, yesterday, there was a lot of discussions about the issues of ISIS, the economical situation, the political dimensions, and so on. Today, I'll try to give you an Iraqi perspective from within, looking at the world outside, rather than from outside, looking the, into the Iraqi scenery. Or let me also thank the audience for coming to this uh, prestigious event. This is the 32nd uh, annual U.S. Arab Policy Makers Conference. Policy makers requires a lot of in-depth analysis, requires a good reflection, an honest reflection, and what I might call a dialogue uh, of a special way or special type. It need, as Anthony have tried, Dr. Anthony have tried to talk about the situation of Iraq over the last 11 years. I would say to the most even expert, it's a, somewhat of a confusing picture. How could you have elections going on year in, year out, local, provisional, with high participation, yet we have uh, sometimes basic services not being provided? What are the dynamics? What make Iraqi tick? I think it's an outstanding question, which uh, anthropologists and social scientists are trying to, still to decipher. Today, I will try to give you a perspective of that aspect of it as well. I want to uh, congratulate the National Council of Arab-U.S. Uh, Relationships for their continued effort to organize this prestigious event. Last year, I learned a lot. I was keen to participate this year and also keen to talk to students and others just to get a fresher reflection of what's taking on. And also for their ongoing promotion of a greater understanding of my region, the Arab world, and in relation to the United States. This conference could not be timely, more timely done. And the issues we are addressing could not be more urgent. You have asked me to discuss the U.S.-Iraq relationships abuse from Baghdad. To put it plainly, 
the view from Baghdad is that Iraq is on the front lines of a, a struggle with the best funded, best organized, and best equipped terrorist organization on earth. For the so-called Islamic State in Iraq and Levant, ISIS, ISIL, in which thereafter I will call it Daesh, its brutality is its ideology. Its ideology as well is its strategy with relation to brutality. And the reasons for existence is its brutality as well. Making no mistakes that Daesh will seek to subjugate or exterminate everyone who will not swear allegiance to its wrapped interpretation of Islam. And that's why I usually promote the word Daesh, or as our, uh, His Excellency called it yesterday, Fahish. I think it's a very nice rhyme, but uh, an accurate reflection of that as well. Wherever Daesh raises its terrorist flag, minorities are murdered. Non-believers are beheaded. Women and girls are sold into slavery. And the ancient tradition of my region of hospitality to the strangers is violated with vengeance. From my country, for my country and for our region and for the entire world, our common challenge is to defeat these transnational terrorists. As President Obama has declared, we must degrade and ultimately destroy. Degrading, defeating, and ultimately destroying Daesh demand military action, and much, much, much more. The current crisis can only be quelled with a comprehensive strategy that include military action and also political, economical, humanitarian, and diplomatic <clears throat> effort by all, by all affected parties in our region and elsewhere. So this has to be a global project. In the long run, containment is not an option. Why? Because as long as Daesh exists, it will seek to eradicate the other. And the other means all of us. Whatever our religion, whatever our ethnicity, and certainly regardless of our national borders. But in the immediate future, we can and we must first counter Daesh in Iraq. Yes, Daesh is a threat on both sides of our border, specifically on Syria. But there are gains that can and must be made against Daesh in Iraq first. If Daesh is allowed to keep the territory it has taken, the cost will be incalculable to the, in terms of human sufferings and international security. Together, we can and must hold line and push Daesh back. Since a coalition has a partner in Iraq, but is still trying to seek one in Syria. We have to control the borders between Syria and Iraq. We have to prevent the jihadists from crossing that border. And we have to climb down on the networks of financial backers and illicit smugglers of weapons, smuggling of oil, smuggling of fighters, and which generates millions of dollars for their machinery. From Baghdad to all our, battlefield, to all our, our battlefields in Iraq, we Iraqis are doing our part at a heavy high cost, financially and humanitarianly, people as well as development of the society. Since 2003, the road to democracy which our people adopted has not been an easy ride. 
I think somewhat we were cheated by saying that democracy is a solution, not knowing how high it will cost us and how much effort we have to put in to achieve that democracy. Even in the times of crisis, the democratic process do not respond as rapidly as to tyrants or terrorists. The easiest solution we can adopt in Iraq is have a dictator in which decision-making will be fast, brutal, and I would say even efficient, but at a very high cost to the aspirations of the people. We Iraqis have learned our lessons of with having dictators in which they put us in wars, got us out of wars, into wars again, and that's a high cost which we are not willing to put up with again. It's, democracy is not an easy solution for us, but it's a solution in which our constitution and our people have adopted. But ultimately, representative government and the rule of law do not offer, do offer, do offer the greatest opportunities for ensuring that everyone has a voice and no one, no one feel excluded. Following the free election in April, earlier this year, in which 60% participated in the, in, the, in, in the election, the process of forming a new government moved ahead within the constitutional deadline. The new Prime Minister, Dr. Ibadi, has formed a new inclusive national unity government incorporating all Iraqis, Shia Sunni Kurds and others. And earlier this month, the Kurdish ministers have uh, been sworn in and officially joined the cabinet. This signals the backing of all major political blocs for the new government, which it is by itself a major accomplishment. For the first time since 2010, there are minister, we have ministers of interior and defense. Prime Minister Ibadi has taken decisive measures to restructure the security apparatus, replacing key officers and commanders, and the ongoing process will take some time, but we are on the right track. For the first time, uh, sorry, with the new leadership and the support of coalition airstrikes, the Iraqi security forces have made significant gains over the past two months. This included the liberation of Mosul Dam, ending the siege in Amirli, reducing the threat to Baghdad and, and Erbil by the fortifying defenses, and enhancing an unprecedented cooperation between the Iraqi forces and Iraqi army, federal army, and the Kurdish Peshmerga. Only a few days ago, we were able to liberate the Zamar uh, town in the north and the strategic area of Jorfa Sakhr in the Midland. This is Iraq's fight, but we cannot wage and win this fight alone. This is Iraq's fight, but we cannot do it alone. We fully support President Obama's strategy, and we understand that it requires patience and persistence by the Iraqi people and by our allies. Let me be clear. The Iraqi government does not need nor is seeking to ask for coalition boots on the ground. But Iraq does need American know-how. We need intelligence, better intelligence sharing, expedient transfer of arms and equipment, which we Iraqis are paying for. For Iraqis, Americans, and our regional and global allies, our the challenges is to overcome Daesh and the problem that give rise to extremisms and terrorism. We don't think that Daesh is just a, 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 a unique phenomenon. We think it's a continuation of the 
serious uh, questions being asked in the region, and we think that it requires a lot of soul searching for us to be able to, uh, to eradicate the ideology as well as the existence of Daesh. We cannot solve these problems overnight, but we Iraqis and countries in the region and the global partners all need to get to work as hard as we must have to do and as long as it takes. Once again, let me make it clear that our new government and the Iraqi people are doing our parts. But we all must be realistic about the dimensions of the challenge that we face and the difficulty of the work we must do together. Consider the problem that the new Prime Minister has, to have, has had to deal with from day one. First, our fiscal challenges. War cost money, and we are at war. Moreover, 95% of our revenue are dependent on oil. And as yesterday, and as you all are aware, the, the oil prices are fluctuating. On the humanitarian front, Iraq has 1.8 million internally displaced people. They are not settled in camps. In fact, they are, they are often settled in schools, with the, uh, the result that opening of many schools has been delayed. Our government will work with the international agencies to provide adequate relief for our internally displaced people and to help them to return their, to their homes safe and secure. To protect the interests of all Iraqis and fight for the rights of all citizens, our government is implementing a series of political and economical reforms. On the economical front, our goal is to promote economical growth with a fair distribution of wealth and opportunity. The government will pursue a policy of administrative and economical decentralization that will complement robust measures to combat corruption. And that's one of the key challenges we have. And we think this is one of the key root causes of the challenges we have, corruption, uh, where government is determined to try to reduce that significantly. We will work to increase oil and gas production and oil export capacity. Yesterday there was a lot of discussion about the oil issues, and I think a lot of people passed the situation regarding Iraq, in which it has substantially increased and has become what I might call the st stabilizing factor in trying to complement the shortfall from the uh, sanctions against Iran and others as well. I think people overlook that. Our economical and financial reforms will assist the transition to a market economy, which our constitution has stipulated we need to do. The government will work tirelessly to improve public services with a focus on healthcare, education, transportation, and electrical grids. Because of the central and local government have to work with each other to supplement these basic needs. And this relates to sanitation, schools, and other services. We are working on a revenue sharing policy that will serve the interests of all Iraqis. To better combat Daesh at the local level, the government will pursue social as well as military solutions. As part of this effort, we plan to work with national and religious establishments and community leaders to introduce the radicalization program in the local mosques. These efforts 
will seek to counter extremism's views. To counter extremist views, we'll, and we will aim to at the younger members of our society who are particularly vulnerable to vicious indoctrination. We must act at the grassroots as well as globally. The causes and consequences of terrorism are transnational, and the effort to solve these problems must be regional and global in scope. For the entire Middle East, the ultimate questions are, do we take the threat of Daesh seriously enough to address the main challenges in our region? Are we willing to take this, serious, this threat serious enough to change and move away from this Jerusalem mentality into one of win-win? Let me repeat that. Are we willing to take this threat serious enough to to change and move away from the zero-sum mentality into one win, into win-win. It's time that a clear and new anti-terrorism doctrine needed to be introduced and adopted in the region. Now it's time for regional conversation and dialogue to talk about the constellation of changes that we are all facing. Talk about the religious, economical, political, and social challenges, and specifically in relation to terrorism and security. First and foremost, we need all religious leaders from both sects of Islam to come together against terrorism. Their, de their declaration needs to be clear and unambiguous, and against all forms of terrorism. Terrorism is not a tactic. Terrorism is an atrocity. And we need to declare together, in no uncertain terms, that Daesh, Daesh's brutality, are wrong in any place, at any time, in anywhere, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. To have a dialogue about our future, we need to bring all the stakeholders together. Governments, religious leaders, and institutions of civil society. We need to talk about how we can build the Middle East where the poor have hope, the displaced have homes, the minorities are safe, and the strong are just. And yes, we need to have every stakeholder at that table. If others want to join the fight against Daesh, we cannot afford to have them sitting on the sidelines. We need them to sit alongside us in this dialogue so that they can fight alongside us in our common challenge and conflict against Daesh. The future of our nation, in, of our region, and of the world at, is at stake. And we must not exclude any stakeholder and focus on the big picture instead. As we, as we resist Daesh and rebuild our country, the United States and Iraq are forever tied together because of loss of lives and treasure expended by both our countries over the past decade. Fighting terrorism, fighting extremism, to develop a democratic, developed, prosperous Iraq. Together and with the world community at our side, we can defeat the transnational terrorists who are our common enemies and build a secure and stable Middle East. Secure and stable Middle East which is our common goal. Transnational terrorism 
is our common enemy. Defeating transnational terrorism should be our common cause. Thank you again for your time. will take several questions and uh, would give an advance notice to the Palestinian uh, speakers, Palestinian session speakers, uh, if they would uh, prepare to come forward. Um, well, I have the following questions, uh, Mr. Ambassador. Some of them are quite controversial, but if uh, you can't handle them, uh, then who can? And, uh, and if they cannot be addressed now, uh, then the question would be, then, then when? Um, they're not all of the same theme, um, but some of them are, to clarify, misconceptions or rumors, hearsay, false information. Uh, you mentioned the 1.8 million internally displaced people. Uh, but even uh, simultaneous and in some ways before that 1.8 million, uh, we hear the figures of 2 million external uh, uh, displaced Iraqis. Um, and of that early uh, 2 million, if Iraq's population then was 24 million, you add the internally displaced and the external refugees, you have close to 4 million. That's one-sixth of a country's population. Um, in an American equivalency terms, uh, that would be something like 55 million Americans uprooted their lives, destroyed, devastated, uh, beyond despair and ruin as a result of uh, something one country did in cooperation with others, sometimes called the uh, coalition of the willing or the coalition of the billing. Um, what about those two million? Uh, some people from time to time have said, well, many of them are coming back. True? Untrue? What are the implications of that? Because amongst those externally displaced were the, uh, the cream of the crop in many cases. Your, most advanced intellectuals, your pharmacists, your doctors, teachers, um, technicians, electricians, sewer specialists, water specialists, logistical operational specialists. What about them? That's one question. And also the number who really have been killed in Iraq, not the refugees, external, not the internal displaced ones, but the ones who uh, no more. Uh, early on, the British esteemed journal, The Lancet, uh, published a figure of estimating something like 600,000. Uh, and this was uh, in the first two or three years. What's a more realistic figure? Uh, these are important numbers um, because they, they give measurement and concrete, uh, tangible frame of reference uh, to fatalities, which have to do with policies. That's one question for you to ponder. Second one is that uh, a criteria, criterion, criteria for 
admission into the United Nations for the longest time was threefold that a country ought to be able to prove, demonstrate, not just nominally declare, that it was nationally sovereign, politically independent, and its territory was intact. Uh, prior to the end of March 2003, I think most people uh, might debate it, but not disagree, that Iraq was nationally sovereign, it was politically independent, and its territory was intact. Now none of the three, arguably, seem to be the situation. And so that's another uh, controversial, disputable perhaps, frame of reference for how far Iraq has fallen. Uh, comment on that if you would. Point three is that uh, the United States um, attacked Iraq, but Iran won, and without uh, firing a single bullet or sh shedding a single drop of blood. Uh, perhaps that's poetic and it's a phrase for journalists uh, to remember, but uh, is it completely wide of the mark uh, in terms of uh, Iraq? He's claiming that they have the best government in Baghdad they've ever had. Number four, uh, we had a session yesterday about the GCC, and it talked uh, mainly about Iran as the primary overhang external threat. Um, but tell us, if you will, about your colleagues' perception of the GCC. You talk about inclusivity. Uh, so far as the GCC is concerned towards you, you are excluded not by accident or coincidence, but by design. Uh, fifthly and sixthly, uh, if you cannot talk about the Sunni-Shia divisions, or Shia-Sunni divisions and the sectarian nature of this <coughs> conflict and others spawned by it, then who can? And lastly, is it not true um, that the status and role and position and rights of women uh, with the new Iraqi constitution has in some ways, as a result of the invasion and occupation, set back uh, the rights positions uh, of women. Um, these are five. Again, the first one, uh, numerical, killed in action, external refugees, second one criteria for membership in the United Nations, national sovereignty, political independence, territorial integrity, uh, the aspect of did Iran win, quote unquote, uh, Iraq's perceptions towards the GCC, Sunni Shia divisions, and the situation regarding women. This is quite a smorgasbord, you need a day and a half, but uh, you're good at sound bites, but not that we want you to bite the sound, but uh, if you would comment, please. No, good. Okay. I mean, you said day and a half, all I need is an hour. So. <laughs> uh, thank you again for your uh, collection of uh, diverse questions, which in itself reflect the myriad of challenges we face in Iraq. We did not choose uh, to be in this position. 
the people have uh, somewhat suffered from a culture of wars in which we started in 75 with, against the Kurdish rebellion and ended in 2003. In between that, we had devastations of the Iraqi war, the international sanctions, the problems with uh, invading a, a neighbor Arab country, Kuwait, and the various uh, UN resolutions, including Chapter 7, implications on the country. So that all, if, if you take a snapshot of where we were in 2003, let me make uh, be clear that uh, at 2003, Iraq had no middle class. It had a deflation of uh, dinar in relation to, do to dollar of one to 10,000. One to 10,000. If a dinar was equate, equivalent to, to three dollars in, in, in 1980, by, 20, by 2003, one dollar was 3,000 dinar. So 10,000 deflations. So we had that. The biggest challenge across all that, what you talked about, is the issue of good governance. And to have a good governance, you need to have a, a reputable, respectable, sizable middle class. And that was no, not in existence by 2003. Majority of our intellect, and Iraq is a somewhat uh, highly intellectual society, high literacy and so on, were outside the country, as which you articulated. So the key question is where are we coming from, not where we are. Because we can all know, no two Iraqis disagree about the serious issues regarding the service provision, the lack of security, and others. But where do we come from? We come from a culture of war in which the country went through international sanctions, chapter seven. I'm not aware of any other country going through such a painful process, nor the myriad of UN sanctions against the country. That's where we were. As that in itself led to a substantial uh, uh, IDPs and external uh, displaced people in neighboring countries and, and, and I would say even every quarter or every part of the world, you do have Iraq, large Iraqi diaspora as a result of that. The population of Iraq is 33 million. Increase of nearly about 3% growth, which means a million every year which means you have to have substantial infrastructure put in place, something like 500 schools, uh, 10,000 seats in universities, and so on, to accommodate this one million growth. At the median age of 19, median age of 19, so you can see the majority of the population are young, which means you have to find them jobs, opportunities, and, and so on. So these are the, some of the core challenges which we in Iraq and the region are facing. And it might be some of the substantial root causes of some of the issues in the region, that we have not found answers to these questions regarding population growth, economic development, good governance, and so on. So within that context, I'll try to answer these questions. The issue of IDP uh, is true. We have a, a, a sizable IDP outside the country. But the challenge we have is Daesh, which means that it's a threat to communities, ethnicities, identities. It's not just a threat to a political diversity. 
And that's the key difference between ISIS, ISIL, Daesh, and any other previous variations of Al-Qaeda. They do not believe in your physical existence, not ideological difference, your physical existence, they do not believe in that. And that's what they have practiced. And therefore, the focus of the international community and Iraqi government has been to address these displaced people. Let me give you a simple example. Turkmen, those of Turkish descendants, not Kurdish, not Arab, who are Shia. Something like, I'm aware of maybe one very few villages left. The rest are all displaced. These are from people from the north. But where do they displace? Because of the politics, they are displaced into Najaf, Karbala, and other places. That's where they feel served, safe, and welcomed. And therefore, the threat we have is that we have the whole community. And we're here we're talking about a few million community. We're not talking about just a few hundred thousands. Are displaced, possibly permanently, if we don't resolve this issue. It's putting a burden on the governments in addition to lack of productivity of the government. These are displaced people. They cannot work because they cannot generate money for the government. So there are issues of that nature. And that's, I think, the key focus. As to how many people died in the result of the last 10, 10 years, and the, I think the body count, I think the indicator you have used, Dr. Anthony, the body count indicator, that they are substantial and they, are, they do go into the few hundred thousands. Nobody is disputing that. But is it caused by uh, natural uh, situations, natural uh, phenomena? No. Last year, we had 300 terrorist car bombings alone, 300. Imagine how much havoc that creates in societies. And this is, by the way, some of them were in, in hospitals. I'm not talking about military barracks. So in a way, that's a, one of the key challenges for, for we have. The issue regarding what do we define as a nation or as a state and Iraq situation in relation to the three parameters Dr. Anthony talked about, I'm not going to dispute that. Uh, I agree with him that the current status in Iraq is not one which we desire nor we, we seek to have. However, as, as you said, this was forced on us due to a number of factors, external forces being in Iraq, the integrity of Iraq was destroyed in 2003. And let's not forget, in 2003, we did not have a state or a government. It wasn't the issue of just Saddam changing as a leader of the government. No, the whole state collapsed. It was easier for the American to rebuild a government, appoint ministers, get them into cabinet. But it's much, much harder to develop a state where rule of law is the paramount, is the main uh, judicator. That has issues. In Iraq, we have cultural laws, we have religious laws, and we have governmental laws. And they are in, still in, in, not aligned with each other. And therefore, please bear that in mind. 2003, the state collapsed with all, even a traffic warden has to regain his authority. Not a police officer, not a soldier, not a government official. A traffic warden has to regain his authority. That's where we are. Since then, we've been I would say, havoc with, with issues of terrorism and so on. It, has not given us the, it did not give us the breathing space to develop our country. Bearing in mind, we, we inherited a large culture of corruption and a large culture of nepotism as well. So that's still trying to address. As to the situation to Iran, Iran is a regional player. 
Iran is a clever regional player as well, who has strategies and tactics, who are clear in their approach to situations, and which United States itself is discovering. It's not an easy, I would say, I don't know, I don't know call it adversary, but it's not an easy opponent to have. We in Iraq have limited capabilities. We have large borders. We have to look after our interests. We have substantial Iranian tourism coming in. Iraq is going over there, so we have cultural toys and so on. We cannot ignore that as much as you cannot ignore Mexico or your challenges with Mexico or Canada with the, the type of, uh, with the, that relationship. We have a similar neighbor we have to take into account. Its interest has to be considered, but our primary interest is Iraqi interest. We, we signed a strategic framework agreement with the United States. Iranians are not happy with our current coalition forces in Iraq, the, the, the 20 nations physically there and 60 nations who have signed up to this. But we are doing it out of our own strategic interest. Take neighbors' interests into account, but they are not the paramount. We, our own interest is what we're after and seeking. As to the GDT countries, I think the relationship with majority of our Gulf countries has been, I would say, predictable, healthy, improving, but have we done the right jobs with them? Have they approached us in the right way? I think uh, we need a serious dialogue to say, how do we deal with the Iranian concern you have? How do we deal with this polarization of sectarianisms? How do we deal with Takfiri fatwas coming from that region to Iraq? and jihad is coming in from that, from that region to Iraq. What are the issues? How could we work with each other? Can we exist without you and you for us? I think we need to work with each other. We need to have a, a dialogue. I'm not talking about communication. I'm not talking about Minister of Communication talking to each other. I'm talking about a dialogue where people's believe come into the table with the, with the prerequisite of changing their minds, with the prerequisite of taking each other's interests into account, and I would say that the threat we all face is bigger than the small differences we have had about pity issues in relation to that relationship. It, has, it does require substantial change. The new prime minister is eager to, strong, to strengthen the relationship. We have had a, extremely positive signs from Saudi Arabia, Gulf countries. Our foreign minister has recently been to Jeddah, and we hope for the exchange of the higher level. Our president is going to Saudi Arabia in the very near future. So these are all positive signs. Are they enough? I think no. Do we all need to take this into consideration? I think you seriously need to go back to the soul-searching questions which I talked about. A clear doctrine against terrorism has to be defined and agreed by all parties. And they did not occur overnight, and therefore resolving it will not be a one-day process. It has to be a long process. Shia-Sunni division. I think it's a bigger question than Shia-Sunni division. It's the acceptance of the other. Polarization based on ideology and other isms has substantially adversely impacted our region. Whether it was Arabism, nationalism, any isms we have adopted, Islamisms, brotherhood isms, and others has been a, an issue of contention in our region, and it requires a serious reflection. The Shia Sunni aspect of it is one dimension. What do we need to do? We need to bring people from Najaf, Azhar, and others, centers in Riyadh and others, and say, let's have a serious dialogue. Let's make sure that our Friday prayers, one is of brotherhood and complement each other 
rather than one of alienation of the other? That's a substantial question. We need to have that dialogue. But is it all to do with Sunni Shi? I can assure you that's not the issue. I talked about the root causes in the region in relation to youth, development, governance, and others. These are nothing to do with isms, with Shiaisms or others. It's more to do with good governance. It's more to do with the acceptance of the other. And that's an area we need to talk about as well. And finally, the issue of women in Iraq. I think, Anthony, the, the reference you were, what you made was for a law or, or a, a, a prospective of a law talking about civil rights regarding to women rather than the constitution or the government program. That law was never adopted by the government. The constitution supports women's representation in parliament. It's about quote, uh, fifth, formally fifth members of the provisional as well as central governments have to be women at the elected uh, post. And the issue of women's children and others, as you may appreciate, is a regional challenge. We, Iraq, historically haven't had an issue in relation to that. But as you talked about polarization, that's one of the side effects of polarization in the region. I think, I don't know how good my sound was where, but I'll try to answer those questions. This, this, um Q&A part, the, the A part of the Q&A part was itself another um, seminar in terms of it, the richness of, of its uh, substance. Please join me in thanking Ambassador Faye.